All right, we're back. Thanksgiving is over. It is now officially the season formerly known as Christmas. Uh, as we call it at Starbucks, it's the season of the Red Cup, the mysterious Red It's Red Cup season where we celebrate Red Cupness. And all across the country, left-wingers are listening for the happy sound of children singing Christmas carols so they can hunt them down and stop them. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Claven, and this is The Andrew Claven Show. All right, I hope everybody had a good Thanksgiving. Yes, no? Yay, yay. I, I, had, I have to say, I had a terrific Thanksgiving. A terrific, first of all, it was great just to get away and stop th- talking and start thinking a little bit, actually f- figure out what it is I'm trying to say here. And Thanksgiving Day itself was terrific, gathered with friends and families, all of whom I truly love and all of whom have the silliest political opinions on earth. I mean, everybody I know, everybody at my Thanksgiving tables, virtually, not quite everybody, but almost everybody, total left-wingers. You know, I, I actually am, you know how they warn you about the crazy uncle, I'm actually crazy Uncle Andrew that everybody has to avoid talking to. It's like, now do whatever you do, don't start an argument with crazy Andrew, because you know, you know what he's like, you know, <laughs> like whatever. And of course, if an argument starts, it's always my fault. It's, if you're a right-winger, it's always your fault, because the guy says to you, you know, that Donald Trump is a buffoon. You go, yeah, and Hillary Clinton's a liar. It's like, oh, why? why? You know, and then my wife says, you know, why were you so mean to him? Why? And I said, what? What? You know, like I, said, I said the same thing to him. He said to me, but see, it's different. It's different yeah. because if you tell me I'm wrong and you prove to me I'm wrong about something, all I have to do is change my opinion, right? Because if you give me, if I've got the facts wrong, I just, I just change my opinion to fit the new picture, you know? If I explain to a left-winger that he's wrong, I've told him that he's a bad person. I've stripped him of his virtue. I've stripped him of his sense of himself. If I say, you know, yeah, great war on poverty, the way it destroyed black families and plunged more of them into poverty and slowed their climb into the middle class, you know? <laughs> like, I have to listen. Why are you so mean? Why are you so mean to everyone? And that's the thing. That's, that is why it's good, it's good for me. It's good for me to gather with left-wingers that I love. It actually is. I know Ben Shapiro is always saying, don't, don't hang out with those people. <laughs> but, but, I mean, it really is good because it, it keeps you from demonizing them. It makes you remember that even though your politics are different, we share a lot of the same values. You know, we value family, honesty, integrity, charity, all those things. These are good people. You know, they actually... The, they actually think that it's nice to do the things they do. And it's like it's, it actually is a leap for them to, to explain to them, you know, when you give something to somebody from the government, you're, it's actually not charity. It's an entitlement, and it actually kind of ruins his life. I mean, obviously, if he's on the floor and you got to help him get up, that's one thing. But when you just give people college educations, you see what you get. You get people who don't have a college education, even though they have four years of school. You have people who are in debt to the government suddenly. It's not nice, but it feels nice. And so these are nice people who do things that feel nice and explain to them that maybe they're not nice is not the nicest thing you can possibly do. And, and you know, it is, a, it is a problem. They say to me, they listen, to, they'll hear somebody like Mark Levin. And I, and I really, I've read Levin's books and really admire them. But every time I listen to him on the radio, just you just hit the channel and you hear, I'm sick. You know, and so Levin says a lot of stuff that's true. I mean, almost everything he says is true, but he sounds mean, you know. And then you have this guy, Tanahisi Coates, who every word out of his mouth is morally false. Everything he just won the National Book Award they gave him for that book. It's that silly book. He's the he's the race guy. He he wants there to be uh, reparations for slavery and it's all unfair and life is unfair. 
And it's a terrible thing to tell people, and yet he is telling, tell, tell black people. I mean, it just unmans them. It makes it impossible for them to feel that they're in control of their own lives. But he's a nice, warm presence. And apparently when you meet him, he's a lovely guy. And, and we're mean and, and they're nice. So we're kind of living in this, in this backward world. I mean, if you only have to look at the news after a hundred, more than a hundred people were killed in Paris uh, by, by sudden climate change, the leaders of the world have gone off to deal with terrorism. Oh wait, maybe, maybe I have that story wrong, you know? I mean, after, after a hundred, more than a hundred people are killed by Islamic terrorism, we're told that we're evil for using the word Islamic and terrorism together, but the leaders of the free world have gone off to Paris, the scene of the crime, to deal with climate change. And after this, they're all flying to Orlando to make sure that Captain Hook and Maleficent don't take over Fantasyland. <laughs> so, we, so we have sent a reporter. We have a reporter in Paris to report on this urgent, the urgent need for this uh, conference, this global conference. It's time to take an hysterical and panicky look at fake global warming. Fake global warming is one of the most serious fake problems not actually facing our nation today. According to smarmy billionaire Al Gore, we must take useless and expensive actions immediately or the polar ice caps will be completely melted by 2013, which will be catastrophic when last year arrives. And the polar bears, oh, the polar bears. Studies reveal that over the last 20 years, as computer models of the climate have progressively damaged computer models of their habitat, the polar bear population has steadily increased. But that's only in real life. In the computer models, the poor creatures are dropping like flies. Let's examine the distorted facts. Between the years 1950 and 2000, the Earth's temperature increased approximately nine-tenths of a degree centigrade. Over the exact same period, the price of butter in Morris County, New Jersey, rose from 77 cents a pound to nearly $4. According to climate change logic, this means that if we give government the power to lower the price of butter in Morris County, the temperature should once again sink back to the levels of the 1950s. And weren't the 50s a fine old time? Who wouldn't want those temperatures back again? I realize there are some superstitious troglodytes who don't believe in science. They insist we have to go on powering our country with oil and gas instead of using sustainable energy from the holy Vitraya Ramanung tree from right, great, great on. movie <laughs> Avatar. <laughs> that, that may not have been a reporter in Paris. I'm not sure who it was. But, you know, I, there is going to come a time, so help me, there will come a time when we have to leave this meeting out of history books to keep from seeming absurd. I mean, this is, it's amazing to me that the leaders of the world are dealing with something they have no control over that is not going to change. You know, nothing they do is going to make any difference. And you wonder, like, how did we get to this place? How did we get to this place? And the answer is, was easy to see over the weekend because there was this tragic story in Colorado, this guy shooting up, uh, take, going into a Planned Parenthood clinic and shooting people, and I killed three people, I think, and uh, one of them a police officer. And I always hate talking about these things because the only deep reality of a situation like this is that people are dead. People are wounded, people are dead, people are grieving, people are widowed, orphaned. And, you know, you say all these things like my heart goes out to them and our prayers are with you, but it doesn't, doesn't mean anything. We don't know them. Uh, nothing we say can bring them back. Nothing we say can help them. And so I have to, in talking about that, leave that all-important part of the story aside for just a minute and just talk about the fact that whenever there is an act of violence, you watch what I call narrative wrestling. 
you watch as these bodies are still warm, as they're lying on the ground, these jackals come out of the woodwork and try to drag them into their political camp to use them as political fodder. And it happens instantaneously. You know, they, they don't know anything about this guy. Crazy guy, obviously a lunatic. You see his picture, his eyes are this big. He identifies on his license as a female. I mean, it's just on his driver's license as a woman. He's got this big beard and all this stuff. Walks in, starts shooting people up in a Planned Parenthood place. Instantly, before they know anything about it, the president of, of Planned Parenthood in Colorado says, oh, well, this is because of the hateful rhetoric, by which she means the videos that showed that Planned Parenthood was selling baby body parts for medical experiments. That's hateful rhetoric. It's not hateful that they were doing it. It's just hateful that somebody pointed out that they were, that somebody proved that they were doing it. And then you have the tweeters go nuts. You know, it's Christian, it's Christian terrorism. This just shows that there's Christian terrorism. It's right-wing terrorism. And then, of course, Obama, you never, he never misses a chance to sell his anti-gun uh, rhetoric. Enough is enough. It's all about the guns. If this guy, if this guy only couldn't have gotten a gun, then he would have gotten a gun somewhere else, and no one else would have had a gun to stop him. You know, I, whatever, whatever his. Uh, but of course, the worst are the reporters. There was a piece in the Washington Post saying we, you know, we knew this was going to happen the minute these videos came out. Here's a CNN reporter reporting on this. You got to got to look at this. This is amazing. Also, this tweet just issued a short time ago uh, by uh, Cecile Richards, president of Planned Parenthood, the, the Planned Parenthood Federation of America. It says, quote, the staff at Planned Parenthood Rocky Mountain provide care every day, no matter what. Please keep them in your thoughts and prayers. Now, if this was a targeting of Planned Parenthood, it would be the latest in a string of attacks on abortion providing facilities or on doctors who worked with them. So, so first of all, what does that tweet have to do with anything? that we're providing care, we're providing health care every, I mean, he could have read a tweet that said these people are aborting people, I'm sorry, a shooter went in there, but they're still aborting, you know, I mean, what did that tweet have to do with anything? And then he talks about a string of violence, and the next thing he talks about is that six and a half years ago, that guy, what's his name, George Tiller, something like that, the one who did all those late-term abortions, I mean, he was killing babies moments before they were born, essentially, and somebody killed him, uh, and so that's, that's what he goes back to in reference, trying to make it seem like they're all this string of terrorism. This brings back Andrew Clavin's first rule of mainstream media journalism, which I always read because I just want to get it exactly right. Whenever the prejudices and illusions of left-wingers are confirmed by an individual incident, the incident is treated as representative. When those prejudices and illusions are contradicted, the incident is considered an aberration and treating it as representative is deemed hateful. One guy, crazy guy, goes into an abortion clinic and there is a string of violence against abortion clinics, but a bunch of random folks randomly named Mohammed go around randomly killing people for, there's no connection, it has nothing to do with anything, you know? And, and what is it? Think about it for a minute. Let, let's just say for a second, we don't even know yet the motive. As I'm speaking, we don't know the motive of this guy. They say he mentioned something about no more body parts, but he also said a lot of things. He was clearly ranting lunatic. If, if he was anti-abortion, if, if the shooter was anti-abortion, does it suddenly become right to inject poison into a baby and then pull his body out of the womb piece by piece and sell those pieces for medical does that suddenly does the moral world suddenly turn around and that becomes great because this guy is anti-abortion if he's a christian if he's a believing christian does that have any relevance to the belief of christianity does that mean jesus wasn't the son of god or was does it have any 
relevance to the truth of, of that belief? None. It has none. If, if he used a gun, we know he used a gun. Does that somehow strip you of your Second Amendment right to defend yourself? No, of course not. So why are they doing it? Why are they so desperate to take over the narrative? It's lying for power. It is lying for power. They feel that if they win the narrative, then ignorant people will allow them to fulfill their agenda, to go forward and put forward their agenda. It's a real, it really is a despicable thing to do, but it is how we get to this place where the leaders of the free world, while we're all under the threat, because Islamism is a genuine threat. It's a genuine thing. That's not a narrative. That's a fact. Random folks named Muhammad are randomly killing folks every minute, not, not every six and a half years, like all the time in countries all around the globe. And it's the ideas, it's not their race, it's not the, the place they come from, it's the ideas embedded in Islamism that turn their minds. It's like, that, it's like the zombie plague in 28 Days Later. It turns people's minds into, into hatefulness. So you wind up with a world in which the, the narrative is so skewed that people are off fighting over nonsense. They're off doing this, this climate change. And then you look at the colleges, you know, you look at where people are complaining that we're oppressed, these Yaleys <laughs> complaining that, that they're oppressed by microaggressions and all this stuff. And, and one of the things I've noticed, you know, this, this weekend was the first time in a year, uh, for a year I was doing a volunteer stint on a hotline, which I do from time to time because I kind of have a knack for it. I have a knack for talking to people when they're in desperate straits. And this was a hotline where I dealt with a lot of kids and I started to realize that a lot, obviously I'm dealing with a depressed population, but they were telling me that all their friends were depressed. So I started asking friends I knew who were school teachers, friends I knew who deal with kids, parents, you know, is this generation depre more depressed? And they all say, yeah, it is, yeah, it is. And so I started to think, well, why is that the case? Why is this generation depressed? I personally think what's happening on our campus is a sign of depression. So I went back and I took a look at this speech this is what came into my mind. I took a look at this speech by JFK. This is 1962. Play, just play this. I'm, I'm going to let this run because I want you to hear. Listen to what he's saying. Listen to the words. But why some say the moon? Why choose this as our goal? And they may well ask, why climb the highest mountain? Why 35 years ago fly the Atlantic? Why does Rice play Texas? We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills. Because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept, one we are unwilling to postpone, and one we intend to win, and the others too. We shall send to the moon 240,000 miles away from the control station in Houston a giant rocket more than 300 feet tall, the length of this football field, made of new metal alloys, some of which have not yet been invented, capable of standing heat and stresses several times more than have ever been experienced fitted together with a precision better than the finest watch, carrying all the equipment needed for propulsion, guidance, control, communications, food, and survival on an untried mission to an unknown celestial body and then return it safely to Earth 
re-entering the atmosphere at speeds of over 25,000 miles per hour, causing heat about half that on the temperature of the sun, almost as hot as it is here today, and do all this, and do all this, and do it right, and do it first before this dictate is out, then we must be bold. Okay, I wanted to play that whole thing just so you understood the context of the science of the time, because there's more computing power in this iPhone than they had then in the entire rocket ship that went to the moon. I mean, so what Kennedy was talking about is 62, 1962, 1969, guy steps off a capsule into onto the moon, one small step for a man, one giant step, one giant leap for mankind. Seven years, seven years, all that stuff got done, okay? Now take a listen, I want you to listen to Obama de defining leadership, very shortcut. My definition of leadership would be leading on climate change and international accord that potentially we'll get in Paris. What do you think is going to be different seven years from now? Everybody's laughing. I mean, it's pretty sad. But what do you think is going to be different seven years from now? You know, I mean, a lot more people are going to be dead by shot down by some random guy who just randomly is named Muhammad. But the temperature is going to be going to be exactly the same. It's going to be good weather for Sharia law. That's what it's going to be. You know? I mean, I mean, that's at its best. At its best, what a small, creepy, pinched little goal to have. Stop using so much. Stop doing so much. Stop building so much. Stop, stop, stop. You know, you're using up the planet. Don't do it. Don't build. Don't go there. Don't, don't, don't stop. You know, stay home. Don't, you know, take, take only pictures. Leave only footprints. You know, you're born, you live, you die. Don't touch anything because you'll only mess it up. That's that goal. Thank you, Mr. President, for, you know, without vision, the people perish. That's really beautiful. You know, and, and you remember, you know, think back. I, you know, I was going to bring these in, but I can't bear to play them. Uh, you know, think back to those little kids singing, oh, Obama's going to change it. Obama, you know, mm -mm -mm, Barack Hussein Obama. Remember the, that woman at the convention who said, oh, I won't have to, I won't have to pay, worry about filling my car anymore. I won't have to worry about paying my mortgage. If I help Obama get elected, he's going to help me. <coughs> that's, that's the vision, okay? So you have all these kids who are depressed, and that's the vision of our president. Don't do anything. Don't do, not, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna put together a bunch of stuff that hasn't even been invented yet, and we're going to the moon, baby. No, 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 don't do that, because who knows what you'll break. So this is, this is connected to another thing I've been thinking about for a long time. My son, who is a brilliant guy, he's a scholar, he helped me figure out something that has been bugging me, and that I knew I didn't, ha I didn't have it right, and I was just, thinking and thinking about it, and he cleared it up in, a, in two sentences. I, I've been, it's been bugging me to notice, all the, especially with all these kids on campus, how all the goals of the left become the polar opposite of what they start out to be, okay? I mean, not, they don't veer off a little bit. They become 180 degrees different than what they were supposed to be. So kids in the 60s took to the street, they called it the FSM, the free speech movement. Now these kids are asking for censorship. They're asking that you know, anything that offends them be not allowed, be disallowed, okay? Feminists rose up saying, we're strong and we're rational, we're more rational, we're as rational as men, we can do everything. And now feminists are like, you know, please don't say those things. I have to go to my safe space, you know? I, I nearly fainted when he said that women were different than men. Oh my God, you know, they've become the weakest, most, they've become 
a, an imitation of what men were supposed to think women were like. Okay, I don't think men ever really thought those things about women, but the worst thing that a sexist could say about a woman describes a feminist now. It becomes the exact opposite. The, the blacks started out righteously battling to stop, you know, the, the evils of segregation and Jim Crow, and now they're at Princeton, they're asking to be segregated. They're going, it's 180 degrees different. And, and remember, you know, one of the big, you know, one of the big things of my youth with good and bad uh, results was the sexual revolution. Suddenly we're all free, you know, we have birth control, it's all gonna be, it's all sex, it's all fun, it's just pleasure, it doesn't mean anything. And now they're passing these yes mean yes laws that are far more restrictive than anything that was going on in the 50s and 60s. And they're, they're saying, I heard, I heard, I love the Spike Lee, who's making Les Estrada, I think, or a, a version of Les Estrada. He said, women should, college women should have a sex strike to stop the uh, sexual harassment. And I thought, what an original idea. We can call it chastity. You know? <laughs> it's like got, everything, everything becomes the exact opposite of what they said they were trying to get. It's, it was so definitive, such a, you know, such a 180 degree thing, that I thought there's got to be a mechanism here that I'm missing. There's got to be something, maybe there's something about politics that they're getting exactly wrong so that when you feed it into the political machine, it comes out 180 degree difference. Or maybe, I thought maybe it's psychological. You know, maybe the same women who are drawn to radical feminism are the women who are reading Fifty Shades of Grey and dreaming about being tied up and, and whipped, you know, and so they ultimately wind up in the place that they're trying to avoid. You know, like Freud said, the fear is the desire. They're afraid of this thing and they become that. None of these, I didn't like any of these explanations. They all kind of were a little neat and, and sort of uh, derogatory. As I said, one of the good things about knowing a lot of left-wingers is it makes it hard to generalize about them in that way. And so I, I was talking to my son and I said, you know, what, what do you think this is? And he said, you're overthinking this. It's, it's really simple. If you picture issues like a football field, in which what's right is on the 50-yard line and what is on either side of the 50-yard line is exactly the same. It's, it's bigotry is here and bigotry is here and in the 50-yard line is no bigotry, okay? If you accept that there are things that change and, thing, and, and injustices that need to be righted, and there are, I mean, it was, in, it was unjust that blacks were treated in the way they were treated, uh, especially in the South, but all over. The prejudices against them were really, you know, we, we forget and a generation comes along that doesn't remember what it was like. It was bad, it was wrong, you know? And so, and so people, some of them heroic guys, like Martin Luther King, I think was a heroic guy. They went out and they stood up and said, this is wrong, and it changed. And they were, you look at Martin Luther King and you think, there was a man, you know? That was somebody, that was somebody impressive who came along. He, he deserves his, his holiday. He's one of the few people, I would say, a few modern people who deserves a holiday. And so he pushed the ball pretty close to that 50-yard line, okay? Pretty close to that 50-yard line. You know, women's lives were more curtailed than they needed to be. I don't actually think that women in America were oppressed, but I do think that 
technology and things changed and gave them more choices and they had to go out and, uh, and ask for those choices. And I think a lot of the loudmouths who led their movement really didn't have to. I was there and I remember change pretty much like that. Women said, you know, we, we want to do more things. Everybody was like, okay. You know, and, <laughs> it was pretty much. And then all these women started yelling like they were doing something. But they had the aspect of heroes. I feel like Gloria Steinem. They, they became heroes by pushing the ball to the 50-yard line. Okay. So now the ball's at the 50-yard line. You can't say that a woman in America can't do any damn thing she wants to do. Okay. A woman can do anything she can. Anything she's capable of doing, she can do. There is no, there is no institutional racism against black people. There'll always be individuals who are racist. There'll always be pockets of racism. There'll always be, you know, racist theory running around, always, everywhere. But there's no institutional racism against black people, except maybe on the other side, the affirmative action, things like that. But there's no law, as there used to be, nothing in the mechanism of America that keeps black people from doing it. So the ball is on the 50-yard line. So now you have people who come along and they want, they want to be heroes. They want a mission. They want to go to the moon. You know, they want somebody to lead them and show them what is the good thing to do. And so they, they have, what do they have? They have the examples of the past, the people who are the heroes of the past, the Martin Luther Kings, the Gloria Steinems, whether you think they were heroes or not. They have the aspect on the left of heroes. And so they go back to that same football and they start pushing the ball down the field. They call it progressivism because it's progressive like emphysema, like lung cancer. <laughs> you just keep doing it. And so suddenly you're doing exactly the opposite of what those people were doing. You know, Martin Luther King was saying, famously said, you know, we want to be judged not by the color of our skin, but by the content of our character. And these guys on college campuses today are essentially saying we want to be treated according to the color of our skin. Ta-Nehisi Coates is essentially saying, I want special treatment because of the color of my skin. I want my son to have special treatment because of the color of my skin. They're dealing with microaggressions, that to them is heroism. When the uh, uh, terrorist attacks happened in Paris, they said, oh, what about the terrorist, you know, terrorism on the University of Missouri? Which was what? Which was nothing. So it's all of this imaginary mission that they have because they have lost that sense of a of, of mission greater than themselves, of a purpose in life greater than themselves. You know, there's an old cartoon that I just happened to remember, and I, I brought a little clip of it with me called Make Mine Freedom. I think it was a Warner Brothers cartoon. It had the aspect of those uh, Looney Tunes. But it was made after the war because after the war, communism was on the rise and there were all these intellect intellectuals especially uh, and artists who were saying, ah, this is the future and it works. This is, the, this is the mission that we're looking for. We've just come out of this war. We've just saved the world for democracy. What now? What are we going to do now? And so they made this cartoon called Make Mind Freedom and it shows you under freedom all these people arguing with each other. It's just fights and it doesn't make any sense and one person wants one thing and another person wants another thing. The politician is playing all sides against the middle and this snake oil salesman, literally a snake oil salesman in the cartoon, comes along and he sells them a bottle of what's called ism. Ism, it's a faith, it's a belief system. It's, maybe it's communism, maybe it's socialism, maybe it's fascism, but he sells them. Just take a look at this brief clip from this. Folks, here's the answer to your problems, Dr. Utopia's sensational new discovery, ism. Ism will cure any ailment of the body politic. It's terrific, it's tremendous. Once you swallow the contents of this bottle, you'll have the bountiful benefit of higher wages, shorter hours, and security. Enormous profits, no strikes. 
Remember, you're the big boss. Government control, no worry about votes. Name your own salary. Bigger crops, lower costs. Why, ism even makes the weather perfect every day. And now then, because we are introducing this amazing item for the first time in this country, it isn't going to cost you one cent. All you have to do is sign this little scrap of paper and you get your bottle absolutely free. <laughs> like a bull on there is trying to tell us something. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, now the salesman is in the White House selling his ism and off he's off his climate warmism, which is, let's face it, a way for the government to take control of our energy sources so that, and our businesses. It's, it's socialism under another, under another name. But that leaves us on the right with a problem. You know, keeping the ball on the 50-yard line is not that exciting. I mean, freedom is not a mission. Freedom is only a mission when you lose it. When you're enslaved, freedom becomes a mission because you have to win it back. But once you have it, it very quickly can devolve into what happens in America, like during the Clinton era, into pleasure-seeking. You know, it's, I'm free so I can sleep with anybody I want. I'm free so I can take any drug that I want. I'm free. You know, it's, it's amazing how often libertarians start talking about drugs, and you think, like, really? That's, that's what your life is about? It's, you know, making sure that you get to the right drug and all this? You know, it's, it's, it poses a question to us on the right. What is the mission? What is the moon shot? that we are offering uh, to people today. I mean, even when you look at the heroes on TV, cops, doctors, uh, you know, uh, firemen, they're people who fight bad stuff, soldiers. They're people who fight bad stuff, but they're not people who move the ball of, of human ingenuity and human uh, accomplishment onto the next level. So this is a question I'm going to come back to. I'm not going to pose an answer to it, but what is the purpose that we on the right want to fill freedom with? I think that that's a question that we should be asking, especially as we go into an election year, when it's not enough. It's not enough to just say, be free. We have to have a purpose, like JFK was selling when he sent us to the moon. All right, before I go, I, I, I'm always a little reluctant to plug my own stuff, but I have to do it. I, it. For the first time, my memoir, which does not come out until September, is now available for pre-order. Before, only the Kindle version was available for pre-order, but if you go on Amazon, I assume Barnes & Noble, I didn't check. Uh, the Great Good Thing, A Secular Jew Comes to Faith in Christ. I think that's what it's called. <laughs> Great Good Thing is the title. It's a memoir of my journey to faith. I don't think it's like anybody else's story. I think it's really pretty original. And if you pre-order it, if you think it, a lot of the stuff we talk about on the show, it tells how I developed some of the ideas, how I found the things that I do believe in. Um, if you think you might enjoy it, it helps me if you pre-order it. It uh, actually gives me some advantages with Amazon. Uh, they do more deals and things like that. So the great good thing, you can get it on Amazon. Stuff I Like, which is an entirely different thing. Uh, here is a book. Most of the stuff I've been recommending has been fiction. It's been art. And this is a memoir, uh, speaking of memoirs, that is a work of art. Uh, it's a book called Wild Swans. And I don't know how to pronounce the author. She's Chinese, and it's Yung Chang, I think. Yung Chang. First of all, I know a lot of the stuff I like, because I like a lot of crime stuff, is, is guy stuff. And, and this is a book that women go nuts over. You know how women sometimes magically are all suddenly reading the same book? I mean, it's why we know there's a conspiracy against us, because suddenly they have this way of communication where suddenly they all have the same book. Well, that back in the 90s, they were all reading Wild Swans. But it's a, men will love it too, and it talks a lot about what I was just talking about. It's a story of three generations of women in China before the Maoist Revolution, 
during the Maoist revolution and through, really, to not to the end of the Maoist revolution, but through much of it. And it shows you how people get seduced into these isms, how these, these belief systems, and it's terrifying, and it will remind you a little bit of some of the stuff happening today, although on steroids, it's much worse, uh, it was much worse there than it is here. But it's a great, great story. It's a great story. It starts out with a woman who is a concubine and ends up with a woman who, uh, you know, is the, is the author of the book, and so she's a modern uh, person. Great book, Wild Swans. That's it. We will be back tomorrow. Uh, welcome back from Thanksgiving, and welcome to the Christmas. It's the Christmas season here, folks, and we will be celebrating this Christmas stuff I like as soon as December comes. I'm Andrew Claven. This is The Andrew Claven Show. I'll see you again tomorrow.